we're excited to hear what, what all happened um, there at that, that conference. We've been in a study in the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been in chapter 15, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to continue this morning in that passage. We'll pick up in verse 20 here in a minute. The topic of the entire chapter is the resurrection, right? We saw a bunch of chapters on spiritual gifts, and then we made a transition on Easter Sunday, Sun, Resurrection Sunday, to talking about the resurrection. And when I think about the resurrection, and I think of Easter Sunday, I always think of spring, because obviously it is springtime, even though Ohio is really refusing to, to bring on the feeling. Generally speaking... Don't you love how you feel when it's springtime outside? Maybe not this morning, but, but generally speaking, man, it just gives you a little bit of energy, doesn't it? You just feel like, man, I can't wait till work's over. I'm going to get outside. I can't wait till what I, I just want to be outside in the sunshine. And, and the other day, I picked up my kids from school, and uh, my son Weston, he's seven. He just had this big smile on his face. He's walking to the car. He just, I said, like, man, you're happy today. He's like, oh, yeah. I said, was it a good day? Dad, it was like the best day ever. It's like, wow, awesome. Why is that? We did experiments on seeds and plants, and man, I like spring. <laughs> right? He was excited that, that it was springtime. And I said, buddy, did you know something about seeds? The seed actually tells us the story of the resurrection. He goes, what? <laughs> I said, yeah, seriously. You've got this seed that in and of itself is not alive. It's, it's separated from the plant. It's dead. You bury that thing, and it, and it comes up in new life. Isn't that awesome? He goes, whoa! Are you serious? I say, yeah, that's what, it's, that's what it shows us. It paints for us an incredible picture. And he goes, this is the best day ever. This is awesome. Right? That was awesome information. What a... What an awesome topic of study the resurrection is. And it's not just a study for one day a year. right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ ought to be an everyday celebration for us. It's a massive topic of study. You know, we, we think of the resurrection, we only think of Christ. Did you guys, well most of you guys know because you're good Bible students, there are actually seven resurrections recorded for us in Scripture. Anybody know that? A couple of you? Right? On your sheet, on your study sheet, and I think we've got them on the, the screen, we've got them listed there. There are seven different resurrections. First of all, obviously, we have Christ. We have the Old Testament saints that, that come up. We're going to see that today. We have ourselves spiritually. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are spiritually resurrected. Ephesians tells us we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus right now. Try to understand that. That's awesome. But we have spiritually been resurrected in Christ. The nation of Israel disappeared for a time and has been resurrected. That's an awesome study. We won't see that one today. Church-age saints, tribulation saints, and the unsaved dead. We're going to see most of these today as we move through our study. The Bible also covers at least seven individuals who were physically resurrected. Now, you may argue with some of these on this list or, or want to add another Maybe you don't like that Jonah's on there. Maybe, I thought he was just in a fish. Read that story again. It's very interesting, the words that Jonah has to say about his experience. He spent some time in hell, and three days later he, he rose. It's an interesting story. Maybe you want to have Paul on that list, because Paul's an individual who said he suffered deaths, plural. Paul's a guy who, on his license, does not have do not resuscitate. Right? He's come back several times, apparently, to continue preaching the gospel to the churches. Right? So maybe you want to have him on there. Maybe, maybe you, wanna, you have eight, maybe you have nine. It's a big book. Maybe I missed one. The, the point of having that on your list is for you to take that home. This is an awesome study. And, and this is just the surface. The more you dig, the bigger this thing gets. I was talking with Kale this week. I was like, man, the, the more I learn about this thing, the less confident I feel to even speak as an authority. <laughs> this thing just keeps growing. The resurrection is massive study. It's important study because you and I fall somewhere on that resurrection. We fall in this order somewhere. And, and I'm calling this specific message the order of the resurrection. 
because you need to know where you fall in that order. And we'll see that here as we get going. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the passage. Let's start in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. We'll read together, and we'll see why it is so important that you and I understand the order of the resurrection, where we fall in the resurrection, and what our responsibility is. Let's read. It says, But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man also came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming, then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign, till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started into our notes. Lord, I'm thankful, obviously, for the resurrection. Without the resurrection, we have no hope. Lord, we, we place our hope and our faith and our trust in you and the fact that you did rise again, the fact that you are victorious over death and the grave, and the fact that someday, one day, this is all going to be put to rest. We're not going to struggle anymore. We're not going to have to deal with the desires of this flesh. We're going to be with you forever, Lord. Until that day, Lord, we're responsible to make sure that everybody else understands what this resurrection is all about. I pray, Lord, that you take me out of the way. I pray that your word is magnified. I pray that you move in our hearts, and I pray that we leave today different because we now understand better where we fall in the order of the resurrection. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're not going to hit all seven on that original list, but we're going to hit most of them. Uh, So first on the list is the first on that list, and and that is what I'm calling the resurrection, right? Capital T, capital H, capital E, right? The resurrection, the one that matters. If if the other ones don't have this one, they don't matter, right? Without Christ's resurrection, we have no hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, the, the, the first verse, the first part of that says, but now is Christ risen from the dead. It is a fact. It is true. Last week, we spent some time looking at the proof, the, the witnesses and everybody that saw Christ, right? We saw the proof of the resurrection. So there were some people that doubted that it even happened, that it was true. There's no reason to doubt, right? Christ is risen from the dead. It has happened. He is alive. We today are the living proof. So what story are you telling? Do people see the evidence that he's real in your life? It's a convicting thought. John chapter 11, Jesus is talking to to Martha. Her brother Lazarus has has just died, and Jesus says it's okay. He's going to rise again, and and she says in verse 24, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He defines for us what resurrection is. It's death and then life. And he says, I'm the boss of that thing, right? I am the resurrection. There are no resurrections without me, right? Not only is he the source of the resurrection, he is the resurrection, and all the other ones begin with him. We see that beginning in in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. He says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins, in his own blood. Because Christ has resurrected, the third resurrection on that original list, that spiritual one that we get to be a part of, because he's resurrected, that one's possible. Two weeks ago, we saw the gospel defined. Does anybody remember what that word gospel means? The good news, right? We, we have a saying, right? I, I got some good news, and I've got some bad news. Which, which one do you want first, right? 
So at, at my house, now that we've established that you will eat what is on your plate if you sit here all night, the kids start with the bad news first, and they eat whatever they don't like as much, and then they finish with whatever is their favorite on the plate, right? That's just what we do. We want a good taste in our mouth when we leave the dinner table, right? We want a good taste in our mouth after we've heard whatever this news is. And Paul does the exact same thing. He starts with the bad news. He says, look, here's some bad news. But the gospel's connected, and the gospel means good news. Check it out. This is letter A on our study sheet. The bad news is that we inherit death from Adam. By our very nature, the way we've been born, we've been born into something called sin, a sin nature. We inherit death from Adam. He says that in verses 21 and 22. He says, for since by man came death, right, the penalty of the sin was death. And he says in verse 22, for as in Adam all die. Right? There's, there's a promised death that's connected to our sin nature. It's bad news. It's terrible news. Romans 5.12 tells us the same thing. He says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Even if you didn't get it from Adam, you still have it. There's no denying that we, every single last one of us, are sinners. We're selfish. We choose us. But we've earned this, we've, we've inherited this from Adam. Adam was a perfect creation. He was made in God's image. God gave him one commandment in the garden. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We, we know the story, right? When he ate of it, God said, if you do that, you're going to die. You'll die that day when that happens. Adam did it, and he kept living. But he died spiritually, right? He was, he was a body and a soul and a spirit. And that spirit was directly connected with God the Father. And he lost that connection on that day. And from that day forward, everyone was reproduced, not in the image of God as Adam was created, but as in, in the tarnished image of Adam. Right? He was broken. He was partial. And re, he reproduced that. Thanks a lot, Adam. Right? Thanks a lot. Romans 518 the first part says, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Sin requires judgment. Ephesians 2 tells us at the very beginning, our condition without Christ. Or, for those of us who know him, our condition before Christ. Right? It says, and you hath he quickened. He's made you alive. That's what that word means. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or our lifestyle in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Because of our sin, we are the children of wrath. In Christ... We're set free from that. Without Christ, you're still a child of wrath. You still have to pay for those sins, and that, that is terrible news. But the good news, the gospel is, letter B, we can receive life from Christ. And we get to do that by choice. You don't have to stay dead. You don't have to stay separated. You don't have to stay in your sins. You don't have to remain in Adam. You can choose to place yourself in Christ. He says, back in verses 21 and 22 of our passage this morning, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. God knew our sin condition. He knew the results of it. He knew the penalty that came along with it, and he didn't just leave us there. You know, we can sit around and blame Adam all we want, but we own our own sins. And I have to answer for my own sins. And God knew that, and he made a way. If you go back to Romans 5, 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience were many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. 
He didn't leave us there. He didn't leave us in our sins and hopeless. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Right? If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, and you're thinking one of these days, yeah, I, I do believe that I'll stand before the Lord someday, and, and I think he'll weigh me out, and he'll say, you know, well, at least you did more good things than you did bad things. No, he's going to say, do you have Christ? Are you in Christ? No? Okay, then we'll look at your works. They won't get you there. Only his grace, only by placing our faith in his grace, will that satisfy what God is after. Because only a perfect sacrifice could do that. So, a gift is yours. He says this thing is a gift. A gift is yours when you receive it. We've talked about this in previous weeks. If, if you have an inheritance from a deceased relative or whatever, and they lose the paperwork, do you get your free gift? No. I mean, you're going to have to go fight for it. That's not the way this one works. This is a free gift. This is something, but if you don't sign for it, if you don't say, yes, I like that, if you don't accept the gift, well, then you don't have it. You don't have what Christ is offering. So how do you sign for it? How do you receive this free gift that he's offering? Romans 10, 9, and 10 tells us that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's, it's confession, it's belief, it's placing your faith in Christ and stating so that you believe, right? And in verse 10 he says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Salvation from what? From your sins, from the penalty that's connected. Romans 10, 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is a promise from a God who cannot lie. If you call on the name of Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. That's what he promises. So let me ask you, have you ever called on Jesus Christ to save you from your sins? Many of us have. Some of you haven't yet. What are you waiting for? He, he's standing there with the gift. That's how you accept it. You, you call upon the name of Jesus to forgive you for your sins. The next thing Paul gets into, and we'll come back to some of this, the next thing Paul comes, gets into is the order of some future events. Every person in this room needs to understand these next two points because of what Paul says at the beginning of verse 23. He says, but every man in his own order. And what does that mean? This, this word order is, is similar to the military term brigade. Right? So if you're going to fall in your order, you're going to go where you belong in the time frame and, and the, the releasing of you, or, you know, when... When you're called up, you go up with the group that you called up with. Okay? You are in your order, you are in your brigade, you are in your calling, in a sense. So every one of us is going to stand before the Lord one day. There are two major judgments. Which one are you going to be at? There's a huge difference between the two judgments. John talks about two different resurrections. In chapter 5, uh, verse 26, he says, For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life, and, and good, if you define it by God's terms, is always connected through Jesus Christ, not your good works, right? Those that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil refused the gift unto the resurrection of damnation. So is there seven resurrections? Is there one? Is there two? Well, there's two that are in regards or in connection to us humans, right? There's two resurrections. Think of them, I guess, in categories, right? One to life and eternity with the Lord and one to judgment and eternal separation. Revelation 20, verses 4 and 5, he talks about this again. This is also John. He says, I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, 
and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. And he says, this is the first resurrection. So the first of two that, that he was referring to, he, he said there was a resurrection unto life and a resurrection unto damnation. Right? These are the two that John is talking about. God gives us a huge clue when he drops this word first fruits. How in the world can we have seven and two and one and where do these all fit? How do we, how do we organize our thoughts in, in all of these resurrections and what God is talking about? This word first fruits helps us out. When you think of the first resurrection, think of it in agricultural terms, right? Think of a harvest. The first fruits connects us to the, the, the feasts of the Old Testament law in Israel, right? Israel had seven feasts, and every single one of those feasts was connected to the harvest season. The first three happened in the spring. A month and a half to two months later, there was another feast, and in the fall, or almost to the fall, there was a third season of harvest, and there was three feasts that were connected there. So in the spring, they had the first fruits that they gathered. They had three feasts that they celebrated. Then they had the main harvest. They had one feast to go along with it. And then they had the last harvest where they, they gathered the remnants that were remaining, at, and they had three feasts to go along with that. So seven feasts connected directly to three harvests, Hopefully this will all make sense in just a minute. We're going to try to put this together. The first resurrection, point two on your study sheet, we see in Deuteronomy 16, 16, he talks about these three seasons of collection. Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose. In the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that was one of the first three. And in the Feast of Weeks, that was the fourth one in the middle. And in the Feast of the Tabernacles, that was one of the, the, the last three. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty. There's three harvest seasons. There are also three harvests of the saints. Right? And that is where our connection is. The, the first resurrection is not just one time where one group of people go up and be with the Lord. Right? The first resurrection that he's talking about in Revelation, chapter 20, is actually a three-part resurrection. It's when God gathers the saints. The first fruits and this is letter A, is the Old Testament saints. The first fruits that are gathered is the Old Testament saints. If it was just the first fruit, it would have just been Christ, right? But it's, it's plural here. And if we look again at verse 20 of our, our passage for this morning, it says, now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. This would include Joshua and Caleb and anyone that was, was before Christ, like all the Old Testament saints, all, all of those that we read about, all the prophets, they showed up with Christ. Christ died before, or died and rose again before they came back. We see them come back in Matthew chapter, chapter 27, verses 50 to 53. This is, a, this is a crazy story. It's pretty awesome. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, this is when Christ is on the cross, he says he yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. It was torn in two, from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. So the graves, when, when Christ dies on the cross... The veil gets torn in two, the, the ground shakes, rocks are breaking in, in pieces, and the graves open up. And nobody comes out yet. After Christ resurrects, it says, after his resurrections, resurrection, the saints which slept arose. Now, I don't watch scary movies because I don't like bad dreams. And I'm probably still a little bit afraid of the dark, but can you imagine... You know, seeing Caleb, who was still slaying giants at 80 years old, come up out of the grave, that would have been a sight. I probably wouldn't sleep for weeks after that one, right? But he says, those which slept, 
Those who were asleep, they're no longer asleep. Slept is past tense. They came out of the graves after Christ, and he took them with him at his resurrection. The, the first fruits were the Old Testament saints when Christ came back. If you want to know where they were hiding out this whole time, read uh, Luke chapter 16 and, and check out a place called Abraham's bosom. So that was the first fruits. The next thing we see is, is the main harvest. The main harvest, letter B, is the church age saints. We had the Old Testament saints, and, and the main harvest is the church age saints. And this is us who are in Christ. We see this in verse 23 of our passage. He says, but every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. First Thessalonians says it this way. In uh, chapter 4, verse 16, he says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's, that's going to be an awesome day. Paul says the dead in Christ 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that we are a new creature. There's never been a creature before that is in Christ, that has the Spirit of God living inside of us. It's different. And those who die before Christ returns are in the grave, and he says they come up first, and then we meet them in the air, and then we meet the Lord in the air. That's an awesome, awesome promise. So we get to see, you know, Peter, James, John, Paul, all of these guys the, the saints from the Philadelphian age, incredible authors that, that have led so many and pastors that have led so many to Christ. We get to see a portion from our day and age, and if we're still alive when he returns, we get to go up and meet them all in the air. We see this again. We saw Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. We kind of skimmed through this, but he says in, at the beginning of verse 4, he says, I saw thrones, and they sat upon them. And judgment was given unto them. And later in this passage, he talks about these individuals reigning for a thousand years. And this is us. We get to be resurrected. We get to go to be with Christ. We get to rule and reign with him in the millennium. Second Timothy talks about the same thing. It's, it's a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. So suffering and reigning. We get to reign with Christ in his kingdom. That's what the resurrection is about. Revelation 1.6 says, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 5.10 talks about it again. He says, Hath made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. We don't reign on the earth until after the harvest is finished. The harvest finishes after the third gleaning. Right? The harvest is three parts. We've seen the first fruits, the Old Testament saints. We've seen the main harvest. That's, that's the rapture of the church. And then later, there are gleanings. Right? There's, there's, there's a remnant that remains to be collected. And we see that letter C. That's the tribulation saints. And for those of you that don't know, we don't have time to get into this this morning, the tribulation is something that is yet still to, to happen. It, it's something that the Bible tells us is going to happen after the church is taken away. That Israel is going to go through a great tribulation, a terrible time. And, and there will be those who make it through that, still following Christ. And he says those will be the gleanings. Those will be the remnant that remains for him to collect. If we look again in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 23... He says, but every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. So he, the second coming is one of those things that's, man, another massive study. But Christ comes again for us. He doesn't come all the way to the ground. He comes and we meet him in the air. Right? We are Christ's because we're in Christ. This second coming, the, the end of the first resurrection is when he actually touches down in Revelation. It's when he hits the ground, his, 
He comes for his tribulation saints. He comes to the earth complete for the second time. He will come for us in the clouds. He will come to the earth for them. And notice that he doesn't say he comes for those who are in Christ. We who are in Christ are Christ's. They who obey and and endure through the tribulation are also Christ's. He uses specific words for specific reasons. We need to be be more attentional in our reading because he's very intentional with the words that he chooses. He's spoken specific words. He's preserved specific words for us so that we can understand who he's talking about and what he's talking about. Back to Revelation 20, verse 4, he says, I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And, he says, and, because I saw these people on thrones, and I saw these others. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands. All of those things, all of those details that he's talking about are tribulation details. In the tribulation, right, Satan is going to take control and he's going to demand and require that you take the mark of the beast if you're going to eat. He's going to require that that you worship the image that he sets up if you're going to eat, if you're going to trade, if you're going to buy and sell things. That's not for today. That's not for us. That's later. That's the tribulation. Uh, If you want to study some more. It's not in your notes. If you want to look at a Revelation 11, chapter, or ver, chapter 11, verse 12, you see a phrase, come up hither. There's three times in scripture that that phrase is mentioned. Look, look that phrase up, and you'll see a connection to this harvest, to the three different segments of the harvest. It's, it's a pretty cool study. Look also specifically in this third one, Look at Matthew 24, look at Matthew 25. You'll see the tribulation. You'll see the virgins go to be with the bridegroom. Not the virgin, that's the church. The virgins, right? That's that's the tribulation saints. They go to be with the bridegroom. It's, It's an awesome study. Again, we don't have a lot of time for that. The first resurrection is three parts. The first three parts go to life. The Lord is gathering his saints. He does it at three different events, three different times. There's quite a gap between the, the, the first fruits, right? And today, we still haven't gone. And there'll be seven years from the main harvest until the gleanings, right? So we, we've seen one of them's happened. We're waiting for the other two. We're waiting for it to happen. The second revela- or resurrection, I keep saying revelation, The second resurrection is the one unto damnation. This is the one that nobody wants to be a part of. The second resurrection is point three. Earlier we saw John describe the two. We see it in in John 5, 29. He says, we shall come forth, and they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation, Acts 24, 15 talks about a resurrection of the dead, both the just and the unjust. Daniel chapter 12 says that many shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. 2 Timothy mentions the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Every man after his own order. You don't want to be in this order. This is the one that you don't want to be a part of. This is the one, this is the reason we talk about the resurrection over and over and over again. This is the reason we share the gospel. This is the reason you need to know the bad news so that you can understand how good the good news is. Because you don't want to be a part of the second resurrection. Because it's the resurrection unto eternal separation from God. It's not just the bad news, it's, it's the worst part of the bad news. He says in verse 24, then cometh the end. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign 
till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And that's going to be a good day. Unless you're standing there to be judged. Did you catch those two phrases he says here? He says, delivered up and put down. It sounds like a, an old dog. And put her down. That reminds me of the book of James. Chapter 4, verse 6 says, He giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. He goes on in verse 10, he says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. See, he delivered up, and he put down. This is what he does constantly, right? When we approach the Lord in pride, he has to put us down where we belong. Humble yourselves today. And that's you he's talking about when he delivers up the kingdom. That's me. We get to be a part of the kingdom. You'll be a part of that. But if you, in your pride, resist and say no thanks to the gift of grace that he's offering, well then you will be put down. And it will be permanent. And this sounds very negative because that is, that is the most negative news you can ever hear. Because it never ends. This is not a threat. God is not trying to threaten you to behave or else. That's what we do with our kids when they're irritating. This is God saying, hey, look, everything in creation is heading one direction. Except for you. What are you doing? Righteousness is going this way. You're going the opposite. And I want you to stop. I want you to know that I did something so you don't have to keep going that way. I intervened. My son stepped in. Come with us. It's a loving warning of what is to come. This is the reality. You will be part of some resurrection. He will bring you up from the grave to be judged. Or you will meet him in the air if you're still alive to be judged if you're in Christ. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. He says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. There was no place found. There was found no place for them. Can you imagine standing before God, ashamed of your sin, and you turn around to hide behind something and everything has fled away? There's nothing for you to hide behind. The earth and the heavens are gone, and you're just standing there, just you and God. And all you have is your sin. You don't have the righteousness of Christ to say, Lord, I know I'm worthless, but, but I'm in him. You only have your works. He says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. He said, it's not of works lest any man should boast. If all you have is works, he's going to say, okay, let's see if your works are good enough by this standard to get you in. But they're not. They're not good enough. None of us measures up. He says, the books were open and they were judged according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Because your works are not good enough, you will be found guilty according to his standard without Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 again says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, 
not of works, lest any man should boast. None at the end will have the grace of God to help them. That's the frightening thing. They will only have their godless, sinful works. And they will be judged accordingly. You don't want to be there. And you don't have to be there. You can call upon the name of Jesus Christ today. Right? Many, many of us have. And that's an awesome thing. God has documented for us in his words 6,000, approximately 6,000 years of human history. In Revelation 20, he mentions his 1,000-year reign, the 1,000-year reign of Christ, six times. Probably not a coincidence. Right? The seventh thousand years is the reign of Christ. So there's 6,000 years of human history, then there's the reign of Christ, that marks seven. Does anybody know what the number seven represents in Scripture? It's completion. Good. You guys are good Bible students. Good job. Seven is the number representing completion, right? There are seven days in the week, and we start a new week. There, are, there were six days of creation, and the seventh day he rested, marking the completion of his creation. There are seven colors in the rainbow. Roy G. Biv, that's how you remember that, remember? Right? That, that's seven letters, right? And, and it's, it's complete. There are no more colors that go in the, the rainbow. You could have a double rainbow, and each of them have seven colors, right? What comes after seven? Eight, unless you're God. And one comes after seven for God. Because eight in Scripture is the number of new beginnings, right? He starts over. When, what's the eighth day of the week? What's well, the first day of the next week, right? In God's economy, one comes next. The eighth day of the week is the first day of the week. And that's very profound. What about music? I know, I know literally only what I'm about to say, and I'm probably going to say it wrong. So, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. Why is there two does? Because there's not eight notes. Is it notes? Is that the right word? I don't even know if that's the right word. I know nothing about music. <laughs> so, you've got eight notes and then a new octave. Good. That's all I know. That's all I know. The eighth one is the same as the first because it's a new beginning. He started over. So what comes after the end is the beginning. He's going to wrap it all up with a nice bow and he's going to start us all over. It's going to be awesome. The end is horrible. You read Revelation 20, the judgment of the lost is awful. It's frightening. But he's going to start it all over. So what comes after the end? The beginning. Look at verses 27 and 28 in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he, he hath... <laughs> I can't read. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. I think these two verses might unfold into a study more massive than the, re the, the resurrection itself. There's something going on here to where we know that, that God has always magnified his son. We know that Christ has always submitted to his, the Father. We know that the Spirit always points to illuminate the Son and the Word. But there's something weird going on here. If you look at, if we, if we take this all the way, we're going to rabbit trail so far that we'll lose the point of everything else we've covered. So we're not going to go too far. But I just want to see, want to point out a couple of interesting things. There are two he's in here, and, and it's honestly difficult to figure out which one's which if you're not paying close attention. For he hath put all things under his feet. When he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, not ACC accepted, as you have accepted him. It says accepted as though he's the exception. He's outside the rule. He's on the outside. 
It's, it's also translated out, outside, unless, and without. And the further you dig into this, it, it seems as though God the Father is the other he. He is, right? He has subdued everything and put everything under his feet, under Christ's feet. The Father subdued everything, put it under his Son's feet. And someday Christ is going to take all of that and, and put it right back under the Father, and they're going to be one again, and God is going to be all in all. I can't even begin to understand what all God is doing here. I can't even begin to understand what exactly this means. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, was with God, and the Word was God. Right? God has always been a trinity. God has always functioned perfectly, seamlessly together as a trinity. I'm certainly not insinuating that God has separated and, and is functioning as three separate gods. That's, that's, not, that's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches us. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but, but when it comes to mankind, when it comes to, to intervening on our behalf, he has done some things that, that don't quite make sense to us in our finite minds. Christ left his throne, yet was still God. Christ somehow says things like, only the Father knows the timing of, of such and such events. Well, wait a minute. I thought you were God. I thought you knew. Well, I do, but I don't, but I figure that out, right? God is going to come back, you know, in eternity past. He was God. He was perfect. He's still perfect, yet he changed how he functions with us to rescue us from ourselves. He sent his son. When we get back, or when we get to the end, we're back at the beginning. And we're going to see that whatever this means, that, that he was accepted, he's on the outside somehow, yet he's on the inside, yet somehow, what? It's all going to make sense that day, and we're going to, oh, that's what, that's what Paul was talking about. But he's going to come back together, it's going to be perfect, it's going to be complete, and we're going to have a different eternity. Think of it like a timeline, but a timeline is not a line. It's a circle, right? It's, it's like a clock. When you get all the way around, you're, you're back at the beginning again. When you get back to the beginning, all time is going to cease, and everything will be as it was. It's a pretty awesome promise. Revelation 21, he shows us what it's going to look like. John gets a vision here and Chapter 21, verse 4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death. You know, it's interesting that there's still tears, and it's got to be related to the, to the great white throne. That's going to be a horrible thing. But he's going to wipe away all tears. There'll be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. The former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, these, write for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. There's no tears. Everything's new. Everything's perfect. He's the Alpha, the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's going to be the same way, exactly, perfectly. We're going to understand it all at the end. And at the end is the beginning again. For those of us that know Christ as Savior. So the study of the resurrection is, is a massive study. And, and you need to be able to identify where you fall in this order. Every individual will be part of some resurrection. Will you be a part of the resurrection when he gathers the main harvest, when he gathers the church? Or are you waiting in line at the great white throne at the very end? 
You don't want to be there. You don't want your family to be there. You don't want your friends to be there. So I have a couple questions written on the bottom of your sheet. Where do you fall in this order? Do you know Christ? Have you called on the name, the only name, by which we must be saved? If you were to die today, which resurrection will you show up at? What order do you fall in? What about your friends and neighbors? If you're in, and you know it, why are you keeping this to yourself? You can call on Christ as Savior right now, right here. You don't even have to pay attention to anything else I say. Just do that. For those of us that do know, I'll I'll leave you with a passage from Philippians chapter 3. Paul's talking to the church and he says, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, not my own works, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You place your faith in what he said, and that's where righteousness comes from that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This is Paul we're talking about. Some of us are acting like we've already arrived. And Paul says, that I may know him, that I may know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now Paul was secure. Paul's, Paul was saved. His salvation was secure. He wasn't going to lose it. Paul's saying, look, if, if you're going to approach God in pride, he's going to put you down. But if you approach him humbly and you chase after him and you act like you have not yet arrived, he's going to lift you up. And you're going to experience the power of the resurrection right here and right now because you're going to be a dead man. You're going to be a dead woman. And sin and temptation and all of those things can't touch you. That's the power of the resurrection. And you can have that today. We can experience that now. Again, I ask, where do you fall? And what are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word and how perfect it is and how you know what we need to hear. And I, 